Good evening. Good to see you all here. We are in John chapter 8. Originally, I wanted to see what we could cover in this chapter, but after verse 11, really verse 12 to the end of the chapter, I feel has to be all-encompassing because it's an intense dialogue with Jesus, an important dialogue with Jesus and the religious leaders. And verses 1 through 11 just really kind of step into that. So we're only going to cover the first 11 verses tonight. But what an incredible story and powerful uh, illustration of who God is displayed through Jesus Christ. So we're going to read these 11 verses, and, and I want you to think what questions come to your mind as we read these things. I know oftentimes we get so used to hearing a story or maybe a, a teaching about a certain passage of Scripture that our minds default to that, and, and we don't look deeper into that or ask some questions that might be troubling to us. And so if there are any questions that just jump into your mind as we go through these verses, uh, let's go through them and let's talk about them. I'm going to share the ones that came to my mind because uh, I get to. I'm here, but I'm offering you guys to be able to do it too. So let's read verses 1 through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such, woman, such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. A little foundation that we're going to set here. We saw that Jesus last time was in the outer courts of the temple. He wasn't in uh, the Gentile court, which is the largest one where basically all the people were allowed to go. He was actually on the outskirts and they had different kind of colonnades and patios where they would the different rabbis would go and gather. Well, now he's actually further in. He is in the court that they called the court of the women. Um, and they called it that because the, the women were allowed to go into this place, but they weren't allowed to go in further. Uh, and, and so a lot of people, not just women, were there, but this was called the court of the women. And so he sits down, which is what, again, 
the teachers would be doing. As he was there, he, he was teaching them. And so he's going on and he's having a dialogue with them, much like what we would be having here today, you know, talking to you. And then imagine all of a sudden these teachers of the law, these Pharisees, drag a woman in, probably naked, and say she was caught in adultery, in the act of adultery. And they proceed to bring this accusation to test him. And and so that's the scenario. It's a very uh, startling one. It's one that would cause commotion. It was intended to. As they drag this woman in, there is a lot of, of course, shame that is brought there as she's there. Everyone is there looking, seeing what's happening, and they bring this before Jesus. So before I go on, let me ask you, what things stand out to you in this passage? Timmy. Okay, what was he writing? We don't know. (laughs) But why did he stoop down? Okay. And why twice? Why not just once? Okay. What do you think? Why do you think he, why do you think he stood down, stooped down the first time? To lower himself? Okay. I, I've heard that too, that he actually, you know, was writing something um, that they would say. But it's interesting in verse 9, it says, those who heard began to go away, not those who saw. You see what I'm saying? So if, he was writing their sins. They would have to see what those sins are. But those who heard walked away. And so, adds a different element to there. Any other questions just in this passage? We're, we're going to kind of go through them. Yes, David. Where was the guy? Good question, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, caught in the act, the law says that they were supposed to be stoned. It wasn't just the woman. It was the guy where is the guy? He was fast. Yes. All right. And, and so they caught them, so they had to know this was taking place. Usually, if you're committing adultery, you don't do it publicly, right? I would think. And the guy is missing. And it says that they did this to trap Jesus. So no doubt there is some kind of setup going on. Could it be that even one of the religious leaders were part of this adultery? And it was their intent to do this, set this woman up, and utilize this. Now, to talk about that just a little bit, understand at this time, uh, women were thought of in a very low esteem. They, They didn't value them much. It was very difficult for a woman to make a living at in any way. Prostitution became a necessity. For women, it could be that this woman was, you know, in that situation. We don't know. There's a lot of speculation. But the fact that it was a trap, the fact that the guy's missing, all says something suspicion was suspicious was taking place here. Timmy. Yeah. Why did they choose? Again, why they chose the women was because women weren't considered very important. The guy was probably someone they knew. And the whole point of this was to get Jesus not to really get, deal with the issue. What else we got? Any other questions? 
Okay, let me plow through just some of this. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, when they brought this woman in adultery, they made her stand before the group. Think of the shame that is brought in this instance to this place. And we know because the, the account reveals that they did this just to trap Jesus. So here are the people who are supposed to represent God using a person, humiliating a person all for their purposes, using people for their agenda and treating people like objects, basically. And so we see that that is the posture of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees at this time. They're, they're doing this, and they're doing it for their purposes. There's really little concern of this woman. And what strikes us, one of the things that strikes us in this story is the value that Jesus gives to this woman. He doesn't condemn her, and he treats her with dignity that the only place she can find mercy is at the feet of Jesus. It's not at the feet of the people. Many times it's in the mind of a lot of people that the church, those who are Christians, are very judgmental. They're going to judge us. Oh, they, they judge everybody. But here we see that the safest place for a woman who was caught in this situation was actually right before Jesus. And we see that contrast that's here. But what is taking place here is God is using Jesus to make us aware of his posture compared to that of the leaders. Now, the leaders had something behind them. They cited it. The law says that we're to put this woman to death. And it does say that. In Deuteronomy, in Leviticus, there's instances where if a person or people are in adultery, then they are to be stoned. Does anyone have a problem with that? Does that stand out? You see, that's the question I, I want to know. Is like, is that still okay? Does anyone think that people should be stoned to death today if they commit adultery? Okay, good. I'm glad to see you don't. So then, why did God put that in the law back then? Any thoughts on that, Timmy? To show how bad it was. Think back now. This is a long time before Christ where basically society, and again, how society treated women in particular, the nations all around Israel basically would use women. There was no commitment to a relationship. And so God is establishing something in, in, in and through these Hebrew people to show the value of this relationship and this commitment. 
and really in a very practical sense, is giving to the women who were the ones who were being abused and used, giving them protection so that they couldn't just be discarded, that they they were actually given value at a time when that wasn't the case. And, and you see, God and how he worked through Israel doesn't mean that that's how God is working today. He's making something known, and he's definitely making it known in a powerful way. He's letting us know that adultery is not good. He's letting us know that that is something that God frowns upon, that God looks down upon. But Jesus is bringing into this conversation a new frame of thinking about how God is working. Israel is no longer their own nation. They are controlled by the Romans, which was one of the tests that was being presented to Jesus. They did this to test him, and they were using this on the basis of accusing him. You see, if Jesus were to say, well, yes, then she needs to be stoned, well, Rome doesn't allow us to stone somebody. And so we can bring an accusation against Jesus because he said to have this woman put to death, get the Roman guards in here, arrest him, he's violating the Roman law. So he can't say that, but if he doesn't say, if he says, oh, don't worry about it, it's okay, you're violating the law of Moses now, and so you can't be of God because you violated God's law. But God is doing something new. God is bringing a new covenant to play And Jesus is now brought into the crosshairs of this no-win situation in their minds. If he says, you know, don't worry about it, let her go, well, then he's violated the law of God. If he says, yes, she is to be stoned, he's violated the law of Rome. It's no-win, and Jesus does neither, which I think is a great example for us sometimes. Sometimes when people come up to us and they ask us a question, the best thing to do is not answer what do you think? What, you know, instead of them putting you in the place, let them think about it. And so Jesus stoops down on the ground and he starts writing. And as they're trying to accuse him, as they're trying to trap him in these things, Jesus doesn't fall for it. He just stoops down and starts writing. Now, the law that God gave to this people was to to keep this people in a position that represented God. Remember, God told Abraham that through you, all the nations would be blessed. The purpose of God revealing himself to Abraham and to the nation of Israel is so that through them, all the nations would be blessed. And so a law is given, why? So that people not only those in Israel, but those throughout the world will know that this is how God feels. This is what God requires. This is the heart of God. And so Israel is being used to draw people into them. And something unique happens with this nation. 
throughout the account uh, to the Hebrew people, the flood, the account of the flood in Genesis, you know, the Mesopotamians talked about floods, the Babylonians talked about floods, all ancient civilizations had stories about floods and about God's judgment coming because of the flood. But there's something unique in the Hebrew account of the flood. After the judgment, God makes a covenant with the people. No other society does God make a covenant. All the other Stories of God's judgment concerning a flood are all about God wiping out the evil, God bringing judgment on these people. He's bringing this, you know, calamity there because of the evilness in people. And then the Hebrew account says, and then God made a covenant and set a a bow in the sky and said, I will never do this again. That's new. That's different. And what God is doing is connecting to the human race and saying, I am committing to you. And we see that throughout the scripture. Jonah, the prophet of God, is told by God to go to the enemy of God's people, the Assyrians. Think of you were a a Jew at that time and you heard that story and Jonah ran away. You most likely would be on Jonah's side. All right, Jonah, that's right. Don't go to them. Those nasty Assyrians, man, they've they've brutalized our families. They've, They've tortured our people. They brought us economic ruin. Stay away from those Assyrians. But that's not how the story goes. The story goes, God told Jonah go, God wanted Jonah to go. Jonah fled and God brought Jonah there. And then Jonah talks to these people and miraculous repentance happens. And Jonah, the prophet of God, is mad because the people repented. And God says, really? He didn't say that, but he says, you know, is it up to you? whether this city would repent? Does it matter if this city would turn to me or not? And we see, again, God is postured towards humanity and caring for people, even though the people of God at that time and the prophet of God in these people wasn't. And so you've got God dealing with a nation Revealing himself, but still caring about people. And then through years, all of a sudden, these laws become ways of controlling, ways of manipulating, ways of using people. So now we have here at the time of Jesus, the law says this woman is supposed to be, or the the people committing adultery are supposed to be stoned to death. And Jesus doesn't answer that. Yeah, God worked and wanted to reveal something at that time, but God is doing something new here. And so Jesus ignores them 
writes on the ground, and this is the only time we ever see that Jesus writes, but he writes, he actually does write something, and the word that he's using here means he writes against. And that's why some people believe that he is writing against these people, or he's putting something on the ground that is against those who are accusing him. But you have to understand, only a few people are going to be able to see that in the scenario. So he just writes on the ground, and everyone's like, what's he doing? What's going on? And then he stands up, which is something that we're going to see next week in this contrast. There's going down, and then there's standing up. There is of the earth, and there is of heaven. That's kind of a contrast that we see taking place through chapter 8. And so he stoops down again. After he stands up, he says, Let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. That word sin implies even a sinful desire. And so if there's any of you that don't have any problems like this, have at it. And then he just writes down again. Why would he not say stop? Why would he not address it? What, what's taking place here? And, and you see, what Jesus is doing is confronting the hypocrisy of the people. And he's letting them know, okay, if you're free from this, then go ahead, you be the one to cast the stone. And then he ignores them and he puts that on their conscience. You have to deal with this. You have to think about this. Because I'm not going to condemn her. We know that because that's what he says later on. And so if you think you represent God, you think you stand by the law, then if you are without this problem, if you are outside of the law on this, then you be the first one to stone her. In other words, if you're going to take this stand on this law that these should be stoned, then you be the first one to do it. Can you guys think of any examples in Israel's history where someone committed adultery, was well known, and was not stoned to death? Okay. Right? So there's instances where the law wasn't held to. Why? Because, well, David's king. How do you do, deal with that? Everyone knew about it. Why wasn't David held to account in his account of adultery? And so you want to be outside? You go ahead. You throw the stone. Because the purpose of the law is supposed to be for people. And it's almost like, what was the purpose of the law? Exactly. Their, their, their whole concept is this is our tool to utilize to keep people under our control, which is exactly what they were doing with this woman. And so now Jesus comes in, and he doesn't fall for their trap, and then he says, you know, if you're without sin, if this doesn't apply to you, if you have the ability to judge because it's not in your life, then you go ahead but then the whole point is, but if it is in your life, then you are judging yourself. And this idea of judging is going to be a big part of chapter 8. You know, Jesus doesn't judge, but who he is does. And so here Jesus is confronting them now with their own law. If you're without sin, then you go ahead. You cast the stone. 
Now, what a dangerous thing to do. What if someone threw a stone? What an amazing thing that Jesus does in putting this in this perspective, how he really trusts that God is going to work and that no one does. And as they start walking away again, after they heard him say this, so something in what he said rung true. And have you guys ever been talking with someone and someone says something that's true about you? Maybe it's in a disagreement with your spouse, you know, and you're, you're kind of getting on their case about something and then they say something that reminds you about what you've done that's similar. I don't know if that ever happens to you guys. And all of a sudden you find yourself, the shoe is on the other foot and you're wondering, ah, how can I be so adamant when I've been in this same situation? And there's a conviction that comes to you and you say, ah, I'm being an idiot right now. I'm being too forceful. I'm being too self-righteous. I, I, I'm, I didn't think this through because I've done the same thing. How can I be so blatant in my opposition when I fall and pray to this myself? I've been in that situation and I can imagine Jesus' words, if you're without sin, cast the first stone and all of a sudden all this stuff starts coming into your minds. What about yesterday? What about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? And all of a sudden it's like, ah, I, I really can't. And it's interesting that it's from the oldest to the youngest because the oldest are the ones who would have the most authority, but they're also the ones that probably had the most sin to think back about. And the older you are, the more you do wrong, it seems. And so they start by dropping the rocks and leaving. And so a tension-filled moment. I mean, there's a woman, and all it takes is one person to start stoning her. Jesus, just give the words. And he just ignores them, and they're adamant. No, tell us, this is what, what should we do? What should we do? If you're without sin, cast the first stone. And then he goes back down, and the Spirit of God convicts each one, starting with the oldest to the youngest, where they leave. And the woman is standing there alone with Jesus. And Jesus then stands up again and asks her, woman. That's the same word, by the way, that Jesus used to his mom, Mary, when he says, woman, what have I to do with you? It's a respectful word. Woman, where or yeah, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Now, why is he asking her? Isn't it obvious? Why would he ask her that? He wants her to know that there is no one who is able to condemn her. And he wants her to say it. I think that's interesting. I think that's powerful that he asks her, where are they? Does no one condemn you? And she says, no one. 
And so Jesus then says, neither do I condemn you. This is God's new posture towards humanity. It's no longer I'm going to let you know what is wrong. I'm going to set laws to instruct you on how you're to deal with everything that is wrong. The posture is I don't condemn you because you know what is wrong. And so he tells her, go and leave your life of sin. So he doesn't say it doesn't matter what you do. He's just letting her know that God is not here to condemn you. Later on in the chapter, Jesus is going to say the words, who the Son sets free is free indeed. I'm not here to bring condemnation I'm not here to bring judgment. I'm here to set you free. And so God's intent has always been to set men free from the bondage of their sin. He used the law to give understanding of what sin is and to show men that they are in need. I mean, let's face it, the Ten Commandments, they're not that difficult. Don't kill each other. Don't steal each other's stuff. Don't steal each other's wives. Right? I mean, pretty basic stuff for a society to run, and then man still has a way of crawling underneath that. And so God's laws have exposed the nature of humanity. And that was the purpose. It's like, hey, guys, this is how you're supposed to live. Hey, we don't know how to live that. Okay, let me show you. I will help you to the next step. And my purpose of giving you the law was never to condemn you. And God's purpose of bringing that kind of judgment wasn't so he would kill everyone who ever committed adultery. It was to identify the evils of adultery, but that God's posture is actually to set people free from the destruction that adultery causes. And so Jesus is postured there saying, woman, I don't condemn you. Now, Jesus could never say anything that wasn't from God. The words I speak, they're not my own, but my Father who has sent me. They're his words. Whatever I hear him say, that's what I say. Whatever he wants me to do, that's what I do. And so Jesus is here saying that this is the the words that God would have. This is the posture that God has to a woman who is caught in adultery. I don't condemn you. Go and leave this life of sin. Now, fill in this woman's shoes Whatever sin you want to put there. God's not here to condemn you. He's giving you opportunity to repent and to leave that life. Now, I always am amazed. I'm always, I always am amazed. Had to get that out right. I always am amazed 
at how at this point, Jesus, we don't see him follow through anything more. He doesn't give this woman, now I want you to be in synagogue Sunday. Okay, and, and I want you to, you know, make sure you start reading, and I want you to start praying, and you need to see a counselor, okay, to deal with this, and I want you to, you know, can, I want you to close your eyes and say a prayer, and say, Jesus, go ahead and repeat after me. You know, he doesn't do any of that. He just says, I don't condemn you, leave this life of sin, go. Where's the follow-up? Where, where's, you got to make sure that she makes that next step. He just kind of leaves that into her court. It's been amazing to me that God has done probably the most work in some of the people I've been close to in my family and outside of my family without me being involved. It's kind of frustrating. It's like, you know, well, I'm going to help you get on the right track. And every time I try and help someone get on the right track, they fall off the track. And then when I say, I can't help you anymore, I, I'm sorry, I don't know what to do. All of a sudden, they do well. It's like, what's with that? Anyone else? Exp- I mean, it's like, man, I, I said great things to you. I gave you words and pearls of wisdom. If you would have listened to the things I have instructed you in, you'd be doing great now, and they don't listen to me. And I say, okay, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to pray that you have an awakening or something. And all of a sudden, they do great. It's almost like they're better without me. It's Anyway, that's been my experience. Maybe they are. But the whole point is God is still at work, and God tells this woman, reveals the truth, and then expects her to respond. We need to do the same thing. When you give the truth to someone, then it's up to them to respond. I can't make you stop living a life. And I've tried. I've tried very hard with a lot of people to make them stop living a life of sin. And I've just frustrated myself. I've frustrated the relationship with these people. And instead, I don't condemn you. You're free to live the life you want. Don't live this life if you want the freedom that God gives. Because if you want to stay in bondage, you can continue living the life of sin. But it's your choice. I'm telling you, the more I see throughout Scripture God's posture and how God is always working, this idea of choice is so, so important. And God's position and how God banks everything, everything on love. We love him because he first loved us. It is a response. I don't know how love can exist except in this freedom. And so now here is the freedom to love or not to love. It's your choice. And God has trusted love will bring some. It won't bring all, but it will bring some. Those who see it, and those who say, that's what I want, and make a choice. And so this is the heart of God. He doesn't condemn her. He says, go, leave your life of sin, 
and then it moves on to just this incredible dialogue there at the temple as Jesus declares himself to be the light of the world. Here is the light of the world who's just allowed this woman in this situation to go free. Free because she is not condemned by him. And he just told her, these people, they don't have the right to condemn you either. Important. Any thoughts or questions on this? The one lost sheep. Yeah. And God sees us all that way. Pick, pick the person now that you would have the hardest time with because of their actions, whatever that might be, and put them in the same situation. You see, that's the key here. Because this was something that was you know, brought out to bear. But what if it was someone who was involved with you know, homosexuality? What if it was someone who was involved in some other sin that we maybe have looked at and put this condemnation in? Jesus would say the same thing to them. I don't condemn you. Go, leave your life of sin. I don't condemn you. And in God's posture, Jesus said in chapter 3, verse 18, that I have not come to condemn the world, but the world is condemned already because it doesn't believe in the only begotten who God has sent. See, I, I'm not here to condemn you, and we've talked about that when we were covering that passage, the condemnation is that God has extended freedom to you and you've refused to take it. That God has brought in, brought, in, brought goodness to you and you've not accepted it. That's the condemnation. God has offered you life and you've turned your back on it. That's where the condemnation is. It isn't that God says, I'm judging you, I'm condemning you. It's not, I'm offering you something. If you don't recognize what I'm offering you, you turn your back on it, then you're judged. And so Jesus, once again, is saying, I'm not condemning you. And they don't have the right to condemn you either. Now, this isn't the same thing as only God can judge me, kind of an attitude, you know. No, you're already judged. God offers you freedom. There's a difference. I don't condemn you. They're not the ones who you have to answer to. You have to leave this life so that you can enjoy the freedom that I can give you. But I'm not here to condemn you. Now, this is a milestone. At this time, Jesus, speaking for God, saying, I don't condemn a woman who was caught in adultery, is huge. It's huge today. It's meant to be. And it's meant to give us an awareness of God's position in instances like this. But is it our position? Is it our posture? Why are we known for being some of the most condemning and judgmental people that are? Why? Oh my gosh. Don't get me started. Okay, it's amazing. And the largest, one of the largest groups of, in streams of Christianity is promoting a very judgmental doctrine. It's so unlike who I see God throughout all of Scripture. 
the God who makes a covenant with us, the God who goes for the enemy, the God who goes for those who are broken and in these conditions. It seems like it's the God who wants everyone, not the God who just wants some or just the one he chooses. It's the God who is reaching for everyone. He doesn't condemn her. And that's the posture. Any questions? I know it's early, but I just couldn't go into the rest of that chapter because once it takes off, man, it takes off. We're going to blaze through the rest of that chapter next week. Guys, be here next week. Next week is amazing. Not because I'm teaching, but it's just... I can remember reading this chapter and after I'd been a follower of Christ for uh, maybe a year or so, and I had a little understanding of this, and I started reading the rest of this chapter, I just saw this build-up taking place where Jesus and the Pharisees are going back and forth, back and forth, and Jesus is dropping hints on who he is because they want to know, who are you? What are you talking like this? Aren't you demon-possessed Samaritan? You're crazy. What are you saying? And then, you know, finally comes before Abraham was, I am. And Jesus just makes this declaration that I am God. And then they try and kill him, and he's, you know, and it's like they're in a frenzy. They're like, ah, oh, we're going to stone you now. After first they're going to judge this woman, then they can't, and then Jesus doesn't, and then they want to judge Jesus, and then Jesus, who are you to judge us? I mean, this idea of judgment is going back and forth, and then it comes to this culmination, I am. And we see that all along Jesus is telling us how God thinks, what God does, and who God is. And it's amazing. It's exciting. And so that's next week. Any other questions? Otherwise, we'll close in prayer, and you guys can eat some chocolate cake and coffee. Gil. You know, I, I don't feel it's my job to stop anyone from sinning. I, I can't do that. It's not my job. You know, you better stop it, or I'm going to throw you in jail. You know, it, it's not something that I can do. My My position is to be like Jesus, is not to condemn people, but to help them move forward. Now, we do have responsibility in our dealings with each other, you know, in a personal way, but it's not one that is exclusive, saying you can't be here. You know, I know that um, I was talking to someone recently about a situation with someone in our community, and this was a person who had issues with drinking, and they were commenting on how this person has, you know, had problems of drinking, but they're involved with our community and thought it was, you know, a bad thing to include someone like that. And I shared with them that, you know, this person who you're mentioning has probably brought more people to come and visit than just about anyone else I know in our community and has made some incredible steps and strides away from this life, you know, and why would I put any kind of resistance on someone who is following after God the way they are, you know? Um, But yeah, you see that condemnation that takes place. You know, and another thing is, Jesus is trying to reach the Pharisees too. I mean, throughout this next chapter, he's pulling for them. He really is. He's saying, you guys, you guys, 
you know, you are of this earth, I'm of heaven. Why would he say something like that? He's trying to get them to open their eyes. Why wouldn't Jesus reveal himself to all these people? Because the revelation that they had was the wrong one. And they wanted to move in this direction, and he wasn't going to allow them. And he kept trying to get them to understand the direction he was going. I'm going to give away next week, so I'm going to stop. But he was pulling for the Pharisees as well. He was trying to reveal himself to everyone, the truth of who he was. But they wanted to see him as something else. And he wouldn't allow them to go in that direction. Okay. Well, let's pray, and then we'll conclude. Father, we thank you for this powerful story, Lord, that once again gives us deeper understanding and clarity of who you are and how you commit yourself to us, how you've made a covenant with us, that you are involved and where Every other religion and belief has made such a huge divide between humanity and the divine. And there is such a a gulf that has to be overcome to get to where you are. You've done the opposite. You have extended yourself to us. You have made this covenant with us. You have reached out to those who would be an enemy, to those who would be in positions of sin, those who are in the worst possible areas of life. You have extended your hand and and let us know, I don't condemn you, that you have now made way for us to access your grace, your mercy, your love, your life. If we will choose and accept the life you offer us, Lord, that's powerful. And it's an amazing love indeed. And so, Lord, I pray that we would carry this torch at a time when Christianity is not seen in a uh, not seen in this light by the world around us how, how there are so many who in your name are dividing the haves and the have nots and your name are accusing and condemning and presenting themselves in a way that you didn't and never have and lord so may we see the importance of holding on to this truth and recognize that we are not compromising anything. We have never said adultery is good. We have never accepted those things as anything but what they are, sin. But Lord, we have represented and want to represent you well, that even if you are in this area, you don't condemn. You're trying to deliver. Lord, may we continue to Bring that truth across, for we do it in your name, Jesus. Amen.